Praise God. So good to worship and be with you. Um, we're in a series right now called Fresh Start, and we're in week four. We have been talking about if, as many of us do and, and have throughout the years and probably will need in the future, uh, an opportunity to have a fresh start and a do-over. And this is really sort of the core of the gospel. The reason God had to send Jesus in the first place is because of our sin and imperfection. And it doesn't matter how holy, righteous, good you are, you're going to need forgiveness from time to time throughout your life. You know, even if you are, uh, you know, you've been walking with the Lord for decades, they're gonna, you're going to find times in your life where you need to repent and ask God for forgiveness and you need a do-over or a fresh start in your life. So there's, there's that aspect, but we're also talking to uh, people that maybe find themselves and they've made a mess of things and they've ruined relationships, they're, they're walking out really hard consequences of choices and decisions that they've made. How do you move forward from there? I believe the Bible lays it out really clearly how to move forward. And so we're in week four of that. If you're just joining us and you haven't heard the beginning of the series, I would, I would encourage you to go back because the, the steps, so to speak, are in a logical order. So we've talked about, number one, repenting. And that's where all fresh starts begin is through repentance. And the scripture is filled with information about the need to repent. And if a person has pride in their heart, this is one of the main reasons why they reject the gospel. When they hear this word repent, that you are a sinner and you need to repent. There's probably a good portion of us in here that would hear that and go, amen, <laughs> I'm a sinner and I need to repent. There's a whole other group of people that would cross their arms and go, I'm not a sinner. I don't know, I, what have I done? And that's kind of their, their stance and their posture before God. And Jesus encountered people like that. But I would encourage you to go back if you, if you missed it to listen to that because that's really where the process begins. That's really where a relationship with God in general begins is with the humility to acknowledge your need for a Savior and your need for repentance. If you haven't yet acknowledged that, you, you're, you're not going to really have a relationship with God. Not a true relationship with God. Because if, if, if you don't have this part, then what you're trying to do is you're trying to stand before God in your own righteousness. And what the Bible teaches is that what you think is you know, good and right and true righteousness, he says it's as if it's filthy rags before God. And that's not meant to be disparaging. It's just saying when you compare your holiness with God's holiness, it, it doesn't compare. There is no comparison. So the first step is repentance. The first step is repentance. And I can guarantee you this, even for those of us that think, well, man, I, you know, I hadn't sinned all week. I'm doing pretty good. If God really came and examined your life with a flashlight, there'd be about 500 things that you needed to repent for, starting with your attitude, starting with your facial, starting with your motives, It'd go down a whole list of things. You'd be before it was over. You'd be crying on the floor, but God, but God loves us, and He don't want. He's not looking to just point those things out to us like that. But bottom line, it takes humility to acknowledge your need for repentance, and and uh, only true repentance will do. By the way, we've all experienced these half-hearted apologies, right, in relationships, and they're like, "Well, I said I was sorry, yeah, but you didn't mean it." And that's why a lot of marriage arguments continue. Yeah, well, I said I was sorry. I know you said the words, but I could tell it wasn't there. Only true repentance will do with God. No half-hearted repentance. 
so second step was, we, so after we've repented, then we're going to begin to reconcile with our fellow man. So our repentance before God has to do with us being reconciled to God. But then we still have to take the next step of reconciling with man. In other words, if I've wronged you, if I've hurt you, if I owe you, I still have to come to you and attempt to make that right. Did you know that God is never going to be okay with you as a Christian having unforgiveness in your heart towards another person ever? You're, you're never gonna, if you're a Christian, you're never going to just be able to walk around angry, mad, holding a grudge against another person. I, I promise you, every time you go to pray, every time you go to worship, every time you go to do anything, God will bring that up. How do I know? Well, we read the scriptures where he said, if you stand to offer your, your offering at the altar and it's brought to your remembrance. Who do you think is bringing it to your remembrance? The Lord, while you're at the altar worshiping. He said, if it brings it to your remembrance that someone has something against you or in another place, if you have something against them, he said, before you worship, first go and find them and make that right. That's how much God cares about it. If we were to follow that scripture literally, that'd mean about 10% of you at least probably needed to leave this morning during worship and go make a phone call, send a text, something. Then come back and worship. Because what God is saying is, if you have a problem this way, you have a problem this way. Because you can't experience perfect and complete forgiveness from me when you're not willing to offer it this way. And it's not even... You go, well, I don't have anything against them. They have it against me. You're still responsible, according to Scripture, to go reconcile and make that relationship right. Not going to preach the whole sermon again. If you were here last week, you heard it. Go back and listen to it again. This week, we're moving into step three, which is once you've repented, once you've reconciled, now it's time to start living a life of obedience. Start living a life where you actually obey the scripture. As far as I know in a Christian's life, there is nothing more powerful than obedience in a Christian's life. In our marriage intensive, we were talking about this last week and, and we were talking about it in reference to habits, but all habits are is just consistent obedience. It, consistent obedience in the right direction. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24, let's see what Jesus said about it. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. How many know Jesus is not talking about a real storm? He's not talking about building a house on a rock. He's not talking about architecture here, right? He's, he's ex when he's talking about a storm, he's talking about life. He's talking about what you and I experience every single day. All the tragedies, difficulties, sickness, pain, disappointment, sin, all of it packaged into one. That's the storm that he's talking about. And he said, the person who is wise, who has heard the word of God, heeded the word of God, and has obeyed the word of God, lives to obey the word of God on a daily basis, they will be constructing a life that is immune to the storms of this life. That it, it cannot be torn down because they've built their house on the rock. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So it, 
the, the parable or the illustration is pretty simple. Basically, if you hear what God has to say, if you read from His Word what God has to say, and you construct and align your life with it, then your life is going to look one way. If, on the other hand, you hear the Word of God, you read the Word of God, but you're, you're kind of half-hearted in your obedience and you don't really take it serious, you, just, you, you hear it, you gain knowledge, but you never really listen to it or apply it in specific situations, he says you're also constructing a life. And you're constructing a life that is very weak and very feeble and very vulnerable to destruction. And he said, when that destruction comes, he said, uh, in verse 27, I'll read it again. He said, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. We've all witnessed this, maybe in our own lives, maybe in other people's lives, where there was a collapse or there was an implosion. Somebody was living a certain way. Maybe you couldn't tell on the outside, but all of a sudden, everything in their life started falling apart. It started blowing up. Why? Jesus explains it right here. And a lot of times, if you looked at these two houses, one built on the rock, one built on the sand, they might look exactly the same for a long time. Then all of a sudden, what foundation they were built on would be revealed in a in a moment and that's what Jesus says he says the consequences of not following God's Word are not always immediate right you don't disobey one time and then it's a, a disaster although it could be what happens is we do it over time and those things stack up and then eventually there is a there is a coming home of those consequences where all of a sudden they they hit home hard and fast and swift and it's there's an implosion that that happens did you know living right though can do the same thing Sometimes a person lives right and they obey and they, they follow God's word and it doesn't really look like there's much results on the outside. And then all of a sudden things begin to just stack up right for them and the blessing of God and their marriage and their kids and, and their finances and everything is just there. And people sometimes look at that and they go, man, you're just an overnight success. Really? Uh, it doesn't really work like that. You want to slap them, don't you? You want to say, come on, I've been working on this for 20 years. What are you talking about? There's no such thing. But what we have is consistent lives that obey God's word, and we have consistent lives that do not. And there will be fruit of that. There will be results of that. Why is obedience so important? I'm going to say probably the most simple thing you've ever heard in church. Why is obedience so important? Well, because God knows what he's talking about. Our God that created everything, that created you, that created the human spirit, that created your brain, that created everything that you are, knows exactly how you work and how you operate and how you will function best, proper, successfully in this life. And he wrote a book about it. I actually brought it this morning. <laughs> Normally, it just didn't feel right to hold up my iPad. You know, it just doesn't do the same thing. This is the Word of God. It is the ESV English Standard Giant Letter Edition because in the morning when I read I've got my glasses on and they're out of date. The prescription isn't right and I can't read very well and I need big letters. But this is God's Word. Now what I have on the other hand I've got, I've got something else here that I want to show you too. My son and I uh, we ride dirt bikes. We, this is just a hobby of ours. Something that we do together. And 
when it comes to dirt bikes, if you get online and you, you Google stuff, you're going to come across all of these forums. How many of you have been on any online forums where people are giving their knowledge and their information about how stuff works and what you should be doing? So, if, for example, if you Google, how often should I change the oil in my dirt bike, you're going to see several online forums that you click and is going to have a whole thread of people expounding and talking about their knowledge about how often to change oil, about their experience, about the filters, about, well, I know the manual says this, but it's not really, it's not really correct. So all this knowledge and all this information. But then there's this. There's the owner's manual to my dirt bike. Most are still in digital form, but I did get an actual copy with mine. Uh, the, guy, the guy I bought it from had it, thankfully. But as I flip through it, it's going to have all of that information. Now this, as opposed to an online forum, this manual and this dirt bike was created by a team of at least nine different types of engineers. Mechanical, electrical, thermal, all kinds of stuff, stuff I'd never heard of. All kinds of engineers, nine different types of engineers were involved in the process of developing the dirt bike that I have. There was extensive testing, research and development, close to 300 people were involved in the design, build and development of this dirt bike. It's made by Honda and Honda has been building dirt bikes for over 50 years and once they were complete they wrote this manual to explain here's exactly what your dirt bike needs to run, function and operate properly. How many know we don't need online forums for that? <laughs> we don't need online forums because we have the people who built it that actually have degrees, they designed it, they know what they're doing that explained exactly all the questions that you have, it's all there. Now I'm making fun because if you go read the online forums which I, I so wanted to save a few that I read. I just didn't get around to it. I so wanted to save a few that I read. But the information that's out there, if you were to follow it instead of the manual, what, what might be the results in your life? You see the path I'm going. You see the, the, you see the direction that I'm going. What I'm trying to tell you is this is our owner's manual. This, and, and look, the, the owner's manual for the dirt bike, they didn't write the manual and then build a dirt bike. There, there's a big difference. They built the dirt bike, then they wrote a manual to explain how it worked. And I think sometimes when people look at the Bible, they, they think it happened opposite. They think, that, they think that somebody wrote this book and then we just all try to follow it and adhere to it. But it's not that. God designed you, He designed man, He designed the world. Then He wrote a book about how it all functions and works. And there's a big difference. So the manual to the dirt bike, for example, um, a lot of people might read it and not like it. They, they may read it and go, well, that's too stringent, or I don't need to do it. Well, that's expensive to do it that way. I don't want to do all of that scheduled maintenance. I'm going to just do it like this. You can do that. You can do that. And then there may be results of that, and that's on you. I don't think the people who wrote the manual are hateful. I, I don't think they're like, I don't think that they just hate you and they want you to waste money. 
I think they wrote the manual because they actually care about the people that own the, the dirt bike and they want you to understand how it functions properly. It's the same with the Bible. When people read stuff in the Bible and go, well, that just sounds hateful. Well, I really don't care how it sounds. It's true. And sometimes truth may sound hateful. Sometimes truth may sound exclusive. Sometimes truth may, may tell you it has to be done this way or this is what's going to happen. And people go, whoa, that's harsh. It doesn't matter if it's harsh. It's true. And so if it's true, maybe the person who's telling you is not harsh. Maybe they're loving. Maybe they're telling you, I, I, I really don't want to have to tell you this, but this is how it's going to work. And if you live this way, follow this and do this, you're going to get really bad results in your life. And this is what we have in the Word of God. Let's be honest. If any of us need a fresh start in any area of our life, it's because we weren't following this. Some way, somewhere, sin came in. Rebellion came in. Even if it wasn't our fault, it was a result of interacting with someone who wasn't obeying this. So all problems in our world are a result of rejecting this and starting to create our own online forums where we go, I know that's what God said, I know that's what the Bible said, but here's how we're going to do it. And don't make a mistake and think that Christians don't do that because they do. I talk to them all the time. I talk to them all the time. I have, when I, when I do marriage counseling, other types of counseling, you know, I, I have a series of questions that I like to ask. And, and there's no necessarily judgment attached to it. I just like information, so I'll ask certain questions. And sometimes people are doing things a certain way, and they, they're getting certain results, and I'll ask a question. I'll say, tell me why you decided to do it this way. Blah, 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 they go in. And I'll say, and so what do you think the Bible says about that? Because I always want to know. I'm always wanting to hear the moment if someone will say, well, I know the Bible says that, but I don't really agree with that. But you know, I've never heard that once, not sitting in my office. All I've ever heard is, well, I know the Bible says that, okay, but then why weren't you doing it? I, I don't know. <laughs> we, just, we just weren't. <laughs> we just didn't. So even for Christians, we know what it says. That doesn't mean we always follow it. And when we don't, there are consequences and results. But did you know that there are also amazing consequences and results that come from following and obeying the Word of God? In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1, this is right after God had given the law, which the law was very extensive. I've, I've told you that before. I think it was 613 commandments to follow. Lots of stuff there. Lots of instruction. Lots of stuff in the manual. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, after he's laid out the law, he gives them this promise. He says, and if you faithfully obey. Everybody say if. Yeah. Okay, so this is tied to, uh, th this is a possibility that you will not receive this. It's an if then statement. And if you faithfully obey. Everybody say faithfully. I know y'all don't like repeating stuff after me, but I got to make sure you're getting it, okay? I got to make sure you didn't miss it. If you faithfully obey. Did you know there's a difference between obeying and faithfully obeying? There's a difference between half-heartedly obeying and faithfully obeying. If I follow the manual 50% of the time, 
or if I follow it 70% of the time, or if I follow it 95% of the time, there's going to be a difference. I talk to people all the time that they think, well, but yeah, I do that most of the time. I understand. And this is not about you. Look, we're not even talking about your salvation right now. Okay, because our salvation, praise God, we, there's, there's forgiveness for when we slip up, when we make mistakes. But here's what I want you to understand. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be any natural consequences from your sin. Sure, God forgives you. But let me just, if, if you cheat, if you lie, if you, God can forgive you. Doesn't mean there's going to be no, no results of it. Listen, if you, if you tell the truth 99% of the time, but then you decide to lie one time, and it ends up costing you your job, what happened? It's a result. You didn't follow the manual. Now, is God judging you? For, he'll forgive you for it. But it doesn't mean there's going to be no natural consequences. And sometimes people equate the two things. They're like, well, if God forgives me, he'll also remove all the consequences. No, he won't. And there's a lot of you today that even though you've repented of your lifestyle and you're, you're trying to move forward and now you're wholeheartedly serving God, you're still dealing with some of the consequences from maybe 10, 15, sometimes 30, 40 years ago. But the, the good news is, is that you can begin this process anew and afresh in your life today. And if you hear this and you think, well, man, that's unfair, you know, that I could make a decision 30 years ago and I'm still dealing with the consequences today. That's unfair. Well, I'll tell you this. This is why it's important to teach children and young people this from an early age. This is why we focus so much on children and youth ministry, because you know what? There's a lot of youth and there's a lot of children that are going to live godly and they're going to obey the word from the time that they're young and their life will show the difference because of it. So he said, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Look at this language that he's using here. But it's tied to something. I'll tell you what it's tied to. It's tied to extreme obedience. It's tied to extreme obedience. Not, not half-hearted. Not careless. If you faithfully obey and you're careful to do all that I command you today, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. I'm not going to go through the whole chapter. You can go read it. But he says the promises that will come. You'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the field. Everything you put your hand to will be blessed. You'll be the head and not the tail. You'll go over and not under. He goes through the whole thing. And he's promising something. He's saying, listen, all of these blessings are tied to the word of God. And I've seen people that are very disillusioned with their life. They're frustrated. They're angry. They don't know why things have turned out the way that they have. And I'm going to just tell you that more likely than not, it's tied to this. And if, it, if it's not tied to this, then God is a liar. Because the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 6 that God will not be mocked, that whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. So it's tied to our obedience. Now, it doesn't mean that every bad thing that happens in your life is your fault. Not at all. Things happen. Bad things happen to good people on, on and on, et cetera, all that. But I can tell you this. 
when even those things have instructions and, and laws and rules as how we're to handle those situations. And if we obey and follow them, we'll come out on top. You know, you say, well, I had somebody, yeah, I'm going through something. You know, my spouse did this, and I'm going through a divorce, and it's not my fault, and I didn't do anything. Well, first of all, I doubt that, but let's just assume that, first of all. Let's just assume, well, it's not your fault, and you didn't do anything wrong. Big statement, by the way. But let's just assume that that's the case. Did you know that there's instructions about how to handle being persecuted, wrongly accused, how you're to treat your enemies? There's instructions in the manual about how to handle that. And if you do it according to that, God will fight for you. And the results will be in your life. The harvest will be in your life accordingly. It doesn't mean you're never going to have to walk through anything difficult. Look, Jesus was crucified. It doesn't mean you're not going to have to walk through anything difficult. But what I know is that if you obey the word of God, God will fight for you and his blessing will be on your life. Joshua 1.7 Only be strong and very courageous. God is, is talking to Joshua. They're about to enter the promised land. He says, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do. Do you, you see the pattern? Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you do not turn from it to the right hand and do not turn to the left why so that you may have good success wherever you go this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You know what I do? I read this, and I don't want you to get mad at me when I say this, okay? But I read this, and I think how arrogant we are. Because of the number of people I talk to, and I go, they go, well, I'm doing the Word of God. Listen, if I, if I started really asking you questions, I'm not even sure you know what's in it. <laughs> I mean, people just, they say it so bold. Well, I do that. I follow the Word of God. Listen to what he said. Because I want to know how many are doing this. He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Why? So you know what's in it, and you won't forget. He said, you speak it, you talk about it, you read it, you meditate on it. Why? So that you know what's in it. And when you come up on a situation, you know exactly how to respond because you've been meditating, reading, studying the Word of God. There are people that haven't cracked the book in months, but yet they're mad at God because of the results they're getting in their life. Listen, you can't get mad at God when you haven't cracked the manual to find out what's in it. And it doesn't matter that you come to church and hear it every now and then. It doesn't matter that you was in Sunday school hearing it a few times. He said meditate on it day and night. Why? Because your success and your future and everything in your life is tied to your obedience to it. And I can't imagine anything more arrogant than to not even have followed that, to not even, not even be reading it, not even know what's in it, and to get mad at God because of the results that we're getting in our life, or to feel like somehow we were treated unfairly or it didn't work out for us. Well, I, I would start by diving into this. You go, well, it's a big book. Well, it's, yeah, that's because it, it's about a lot of stuff. It talks about relationships. It talks about our relationship with God, with each other. It talks about marriage. It talks about raising kids. It talks about business. It talks about how to treat our neighbors. It talks about how to forgive. It talks about everything under the sun. And there's a way that God sees it. And I promise you, when you align your thinking with His and you align your actions with His, you'll get a different set of results in your life. 
But how dare we? How dare we live how we want to live, not even cracking this book, and then when things don't turn out, we get mad at God? Or we accuse God, or we let this thinking come in of, well, I, I got an unfair shake. Let me read it again. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And somebody might say, well, I don't have time to do that. Well, turn off a few things. Cut out a few things that you're wasting time doing. You'll have more time to do it. But I'll say this, this ought to come first. It ought to come first. It's more important than anything else that we're doing. When, when Solomon talks about it in the book of Proverbs, he says, getting the wisdom that is in this book is far more valuable than silver or gold. Before you seek silver, gold, prosperity, riches, he said you'd be smarter to seek this and watch all of that chase you down instead of you having to seek it. There's so much wisdom and secret to life in here and God gave it to us because he loves us and he wanted us to experience the blessing that he's talking about right here look what he said God's the one that said this he said when you do it and you meditate on it and you follow it then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success yes God wants you to prosper and have success in your life talking about being blessed in everything that you do. Blessed in your relationships, blessed in your marriage, blessed in raising your kids, blessed in your business. Yes, God wants you to be successful, but He wants you to get it by seeking Him and following His Word. If you look at our world, everybody actually wants what God is promising right here in these verses. It's what everybody wants. You look at the superstars, you look at the athletes, you look at Hollywood, you look at CEOs. What do people really want? They want success and they want to prosper. They want to experience a good life. They want to have peace. They want to have joy. They want to experience a good life. God told us exactly how to get it. What you have, though, is people seeking that without following the manual. They want the results that the book promises, but they don't want to do it the way it says to get it. And so people go about it their own way. And all you got to do is look around and see how that's working out. The, the most successful people in our world, they may have got the money, but how many of them, their marriages are broken, they don't ever speak to their kids. How many of them live every night on, on antidepressants and they're depressed and they're suicidal and all of the, you can it just comes out over time, over and over and over again. Well, you got the stuff that the book promised, but you found out that without him, it's all worthless anyway. That's why he said, don't seek the stuff. This is all in here. Don't seek the stuff. Put me first. Seek me. Get that right. And then all this, the, the stuff will be added to you when you're ready for it. And it'll be a true blessing in your life instead of, instead of being something that, that weighs you down. But you have to follow the book. Now let's get down to the heart of why people don't obey the Word of God. Okay, and I want to talk about Christians as well because, you know, I'm not preaching to people who aren't in the room this morning. That's not really the point. Let's talk about Christians. Why is it that Christians don't obey? People that 
say they're Christians, that they don't actually follow the Word of God. I'm just going to tell you what Jesus said this morning, all right? This may be a hair uncomfortable for a minute, but let's just, hey, let's just enjoy our time at church this morning today, okay? John chapter 14, 15, Jesus said this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, what's the What's the obvious opposite of that? If you aren't keeping my commandments, you don't love me. That's what that means. Verse 23, he keeps going. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him, make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So even Jesus is saying, these aren't my words. These are coming straight from the Father. So he makes it really simple. Now, what we love to do is make it complicated. Well, you know, it's not quite that simple, Pastor Josh. I mean, I do love God, you know, but I have the... And we just go on and we expound it and we break it down and we make all the excuses in the book. I'm just going to stick to what Jesus said. If you love him, you will keep his commandments. And I'm sorry, I can't contradict Jesus to appease somebody's conscience. Jesus is the one that said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but it is the Father. So if we're going to start obeying, which is what we need to do, in order to experience the success that he's talking about, if we're going to start obeying... This is where we need to start right here because we're gonna, if we're going to fix the root cause, we've got to address the real issue. And like I said, it's going to be uncomfortable because our knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, that's not true. Are you saying that if I have ongoing sin in my life and I can't follow God's Word, it's because I don't love Him enough? Well, first of all, that's not what I'm saying. I just read to you the words of Jesus. It's going to make more sense as we keep reading, but... Let's not be super quick to just write that off and go, oh, well, there, there must be some other thing going on here. I, how many of you think what Jesus said matters? And if he said, and I'm going to just tell you, this is where I always start. When I read things that just hurt a little bit, when I read things that sting, I'm not quick to just pass over them and, go, and start making excuses. Because believe me, that's what your flesh and sin nature want to do. But I think we should pause when we read a powerful statement like this and we should go, whoa, what if this is true? What if the reason why I'm struggling to obey the Word of God is actually because I do not love God? And you might think, well, I have really strong emotions towards God. Ah, but in Scripture, love is not defined as really strong emotions. When he says, if you love me, he's not talking about if you feel really warm and fuzzy towards him, like you love cake or you love coffee or you love your dog. Like you love him among many other things that you love in his life. Actually, in Scripture, the most powerful love that is described is when there is no feeling present. Such as when you love an enemy. Or true love in Scripture would be what God showed for us. He said, even while you were still sinners and I wasn't feeling warm and fuzzy towards you, 
I was feeling judgment and wrath towards you. I decided to pour out my love and mercy on you. Loving someone uh, that you feel all warm and fuzzy about, like a, a friend or a family member or a child, that's not really a demonstration of true love, now is it? Actually, Scripture explains that true love is when there is no warm and fuzzy feeling. Like a spouse choosing not to divorce when all the feeling is gone and saying, I'm going to, because I love you and because I made a vow, I'm going to stick with you. That is a demonstration of true love. Or like when a child that you've raised your whole life and done everything for is spitting in your face and cursing you and you choose to love them. That is a demonstration of true love. Not when you feel all warm and fuzzy. So when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I don't really think he's saying, if you have enough passion and emotion, you'll follow my commandments. I don't think that's really how he defines love. Let's keep reading 1 John 5, 2. It says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So he said, so, so now we have another place in scripture. This is John who was a disciple of Jesus. No doubt he learned this from Jesus. He said, this is how we know the children of God. Those who love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. By the way, this would be opposite of what a lot of people say. They go, well, I can't keep all the commandments of God. I can't follow all the stuff in the Bible. That's just really, really hard. Well, the Scripture says opposite. The Scripture says His commandments are not burdensome. So you're saying something different than what the Scripture's saying. I'll say this. I think when a, when a heart is truly saved and born again and filled with the grace of God, that following His commandments becomes exponentially easier. And I'll tell you this. When I don't follow His commandments, it's not because they're burdensome. When I don't follow his commandments, it's because I got in the flesh and got lazy <laughs> and selfish. That's not because they were burdensome. Second John 1 6. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So we have another testimony from John in his second book that this is what love is, is that we walk according to His commandments. Notice He never mentions anything about an emotion. Never talks about love is when you feel just super passionate about this. The way I think God decides whether or not we're first in His life is by our actions, not by our emotions. It's not by whether you have a super powerful emotion or not, as we so often think about love. Because that will go up and down. See, that, that, that will go up and down. I've been serving God for about 25 years and faithfully following Him. And I can say that through those 25 years, the, the emotion goes up and down. There are times I feel like coming to church. There are times I don't. There are times I feel like praying. There are times I don't. There are times I feel like worshiping. There are times I don't. Hey, there's Sundays I feel like preaching. And there's times I don't. But I'm here anyway because it's not based on some emotion. It's not based on some, well, I, I feel really passionate about it. And today I love the church, so let me demonstrate. No, whether I'm there or not, and that's true love. Whether I feel it, whether I don't, I'm here. That's true love. 
And it's the same in marriage. It's the same with your kids. It's the same with God. The, the love and the commitment, the truth, what God really means by love is that commitment and that loyalty that sticks with it no matter how you feel. Forget the feeling. Don't even ask the feeling. It's that loyalty and that commitment. He says that is proven by how you live and whether or not you follow the commandments of God. I doubt very seriously today, for example, and I've seen this happen in church uh, my whole life. At the end of service, you could have people come down. They could, they could slide into the altar on their knees, tears streaming from their face. They could be wailing down at the altar. A lot of emotion going on. And most people would think, by seeing that display of emotion, nothing wrong with it, but most people would think, man, they are having an experience with God, and they must truly love God. I don't think God is quite as moved by the emotion as we are. Because he knows that emotions are fickle and that tomorrow that person may feel completely different. And I've seen it in my life. I've seen people come down, weeping, cry, God's changing me, God saved me, and never see him again. Never see him again. I don't think God is impressed by the emotion. I don't think he's impressed whether we have a display of a super powerful emotion. And listen, just because you had a display of a powerful emotion doesn't mean that you're going to follow God unendingly for the next 10 or 20 years because if your relationship with God is based on those emotions it's going to do this and at a certain point it may just do this and tank straight down if we live our life based on emotion and we think that that's what God is after when he says to love me if we think that's what he means is that you have to feel really emotional and powerful feeling towards me all the time. If we think that's what, what he means, we're going we're gonna to miss it. And we're going to be off because I think that's a man-made idea instead of what we see in Scripture. Again, I will say what we mostly see in Scripture that is the most powerful form of love is someone who does the right thing even when they do not feel like it and they do not have the emotion. To sacrifice for someone, to give for someone, to pray for someone that might even be your enemy, he says that's true love. So we need to separate it from the emotion. Now praise God when the emotion's there. Listen, if you're married to someone, and I'm sure all the women are just feeling super romantic after hearing this this morning. It's like, man, that's the kind of love I want. You know, is a husband that just never feels any powerful thing warm towards me at all. You know, that's, that, of course the emotion should be there from time to time. All I'm saying is the obedience and the commitment and the loyalty cannot fluctuate as the emotion fluctuates. And in a strong marriage, that's how it should be as well. Meaning, I'm going to do the right things. I'm going to say the right things. I'm going to act towards you the right way, even when the emotion is not there. If I wake up and I look at you one day and I'm like, this person has changed. This is not the person I married. I don't know who you are. I'm not even sure I like you anymore. How many know the God kind of love can step in in that moment? The God kind of love can step in and go, all that is irrelevant to me. I choose to love you. I choose to sacrifice for you, give for you, be committed to you because I made a vow to you. That's a demonstration of true love. Not when you have this super powerful emotion. And this is why people get confused and they say, well, we've fallen out of love. And then there's what they mean. They mean the emotion is gone. Well, the emotion is not what it should have been based on to begin with. Amen. 
hey, don't just think because they're coming up here, I'm done. I got a little more time left. All right, I'm, I'm just getting started this morning. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So it's simple. The Word of God tells us, if you love God, you will obey His commandments. If you do not, then you do not love Him. Or we could say it this way, at least you do not love Him enough. Meaning that there is something more that you love in your life. Now, let's pause and think about that because I love a lot of things. I love a lot of things. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm committed to a lot of things. I've made a lot of commitments in my life. But there's a scripture where Jesus is talking about following him and he says something that's just so hard for people to swallow. Even to this, I mean, to me, it's still a hard way of saying it. He says, if you do not hate your mother, father, brother, sister, he said, you cannot be my disciple. And, and many we've read that and go, my gosh, what, how, that is so almost harsh and just and hard to accept. Well, we know that he didn't mean hate in that way because other places in Scripture, including 1 John, he says, if anybody hates his brother, he doesn't have the love of God in his heart. So you can't have it both ways. But I think he said it powerfully like that to, to get us to understand Yes, there are a lot of things that you may love in your life. There are a lot of things that you may be devoted to in your life. But when it comes to your love and commitment to God, it has to so far surpass and exceed the love, even that you would have for a spouse or a child, that he uses the word hate as a, as a way to compare it. So the point, I think, is this, is that sure, you may love God. I'm not saying that you don't love God. The question is, do you love him more? than your own self? Do you love Him more than your sin? Do you love Him more than your hobbies? Do you love Him more than your business? Do you love Him more than your money? I'm not saying you don't love God, but do you love Him enough that it affects your choices over those things? And when He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, I believe that's what He's saying. He's saying, if you love me most and you love me first, then it will, it, it will show itself by elevating me above all of these other, other things. You can always find true love in a person's life. Because I think people will ask, sometimes, they go, well, I don't know if I can love God like that. Well, you love something like that. You love something like that. I don't know what it is. If I hung around you long enough, I would find out what it is. But I promise you, something is first in every person's life. Something is getting that level of love that he's talking about. The level of love that he's looking for from Scripture. There is something in your life that is getting that level of love. For a lot of people, it's just themselves. They love themselves that much. They serve self. All of, their, all of their hobbies, all of their actions, all of their time, it's all about self. They just love themselves that much. And that's the God in their life. For some people, it's work. For some people, it's, it's hobbies. And, all, and there's nothing wrong with those things, right? We all have hobbies. I just told you I ride dirt bikes. People have businesses. Nothing wrong with it. But all I'm saying is this. For a lot of people, the thing that they love most in their life is not God. And that's his point in saying, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. What he is saying is, if you love me most, you will follow it to your, even to your own hurt. No matter what you have to sacrifice, what you have to give up, what you have to change, 
you will do it and you'll do it out of love for me. And at least let's be honest with ourselves. I mean, at least if you say, well, I'm not willing to do that. Well, that's a start. If you say, well, I, I don't think I do love God that much. Okay, that's that, but at least be honest. At least be transparent about where you're at. Because that at least is a starting place. It's better than someone sitting here and denying and saying, oh, no, I love God, I love God. But your life says completely different. That at least is a starting point. So you say, well, let, let, let's say I'm at that point where I go, well, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe I need to repent. Maybe I don't love God. What do, what do I do from here? I'm going to just read two scriptures to you that I think are going to help us this morning. Jeremiah 29, 13. God said this. He said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes. Here's what I know about God. He's not hiding himself from anyone. Those that seek him, and you see this phrase in scripture over and over again, those who seek me with all of their heart. This isn't promised to those who half-heartedly seek. It isn't promised those who this afternoon driving in their car go, well, God, you know, I guess if you're there, you know, you're just going to have to show me. God's not on your on your timetable. That, God's, not, God's not looking for you to, to, to make a deal with you or appease you in some way. Listen, He's God. We're not. We are the ones that should be coming to Him on bended knee. Yes. Not the other way around. You don't get to come to God and make demands. Listen, He's the God of the universe. He created you. We come to Him in humility on bended knee and we say, God, I want you. I repent of the way I've been thinking. I repent of the way I've been living. And you begin to seek Him with all of your heart. Again, I will say, you go, well, how do I do this? Well, I'll say again, you may have to look to other areas of your life. What have you done this with in your life? Can you look in er any area of your life where you've sought after it, gone after it with all of your heart? Whatever that is, you need to go after God like that. There are people that fought and fought and fought and fought and fought until they got their degree, then their master's degree, then their Ph.D., the way you did that, you need to go after God. There are people that they scrap from the bottom and they work their way up, work their way up until they were supervisors. Eventually they own the company. You know, that was a lot of work. It took decades. Like you sought that, you need to seek God. That's when he says, seek me with all of your heart. He's saying the way that you would give every, every ounce, every bit of who you are to pursuing and going after, you need to go after God. There's nothing more important in your life. Nothing more important in this life because, listen, if you get all of those things, if you get the Ph.D. and you get the house and you get the job and you get all this stuff, when your life is over, it's all turning to dust. And if you haven't sought God, it'll be too late at that point. And so the Bible is full of wisdom. It says, seek me while he can be found. Seek me now. Seek me now. When you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Proverbs 8.17 says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Look, this is a promise. It's a promise. If you say, I don't know how to start with loving God, well, just seek Him. Now, we started talking about obedience today, but we got to the root of why people don't obey, and it's that love that's going on in people's heart. So all I can tell you is this, if you're wanting to fresh start and you're wanting to turn things around, this is where I would start. 
Begin seeking the Lord with all of your heart. Devote time to it. Set time aside for it. And I believe that God will answer because His Word says that He will. Amen.